What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Smalley Talk Podcast. This is your host, Josh Shrinko, and I got my buddy over in his attic slash garage slash Studio B, Christian Vaughn. What's up, Christian? What's up, what's up, what's up? All right, so Josh officially booked an adult male to be on this podcast. (laughs) Uh, Josh said, hey... There's an adult person coming on the podcast tonight. Make sure you are on time. Make sure you do your research before the podcast. So we are here with an adult man who is a professional guide on the Susquehanna River, Chris Gorsuch. Hello, Chris. Hello. Hey, guys. How's it going? All right. Any relation to Neil Gorsuch? None. Unfortunately, I... I, Mm. um... I think, you know, somewhere down the line, there was a split, you know, and maybe a couple of splits. <laughs> that, 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 that relation to my knowledge is, is zero at this time. <laughs> so, uh, we, we have a lot of things that we want to talk to you about. Uh, obviously your guide business, uh, you had a pretty prolific smallmouth season. I don't even know if we want to drop the numbers. I think that it may put half of the guides on the Eastern seaboard out of business tonight <laughs> after the podcast. I don't know if we want to do it. Maybe we will. Maybe we'll go it's, nuclear. It's funny, you know, because you, you, when, I, when I put the numbers up on the fish this year, it was one of those things where I was trying to explain to people, I'm as, I'm as surprised as anybody else that we're, we're doing this. And I, and I, oh, don't play it humble. Early don't why, it early humble. why I, I feel that way, right? There's just, there is something to be able to spend, you know, 200 plus days on the river. And, and that's, that, that's really, it's, it's nothing magical. You know, if you're out here enough, you're going to hit enough things on the head, and that's really what it is. Yeah, we've we've talked about Chris and I have talked about that on multiple occasions. Like, it's sort of a snowball effect. The more you fish, the more you're in tune with the river. I mean, fishing is such a fluid thing. You know, from day to day, week to week, it Pun. changes. Yeah, but I mean, it real it really is though. I mean, the the fish, like you almost get to know them and you get to feel with what where they're at and what they're doing now. You know, it's hard if you just go out there on a weekend warrior random day to dial them in sometimes. But when you're out there consistently, you sort of see the movements and patterns. And I think that's that helps a lot of, you know, the 200 days on the river. That's like that's like my dream life. Like, <laughs> and, and you make, you, really, tell, you I make mean, a really good point. Yeah. I mean, if you even if you get out on the water like two days a week, I feel like, you know, you can you got a pretty good idea. The next time you go out, you know, at three or four days separating each trip, you can, you got a pretty good idea. Uh, you know, you start going a week, week and a half, two weeks between trips, you're pretty much starting from scratch. So to be able to spend 200 days on the river, I mean, you know, I'm sure that that helps a lot for sure. It's, it's being able to pattern the bass quickly is a, is a must for every single day you go out there. But if I could tell you the things that we see from day to day on the movement from, you know, they come out of the wintering holes and then they go into their feeding areas and they get on these feeding areas where they're on hard and soft structure in in soft and fast current and they make their ways 
uh, depending on river level, up these, I'm going to say channels are really not channels, but on these paths that they've used for generations. And you would be surprised how much bass move and how many of them move from spot to spot to spot. It's almost like a, a convoy of bass that get there and then it gets weaker, weaker, weaker that a, a fresh new group of fish will come in there. And, they, and if you follow that same group of fish, if you're lucky to follow that same group of, of fish up the river um, without losing them, I mean, you have some incredible days. But I can tell you that we've had days where you had fish on this specific spot, maybe six or seven of them, and you were instant success on these things. And then all of a sudden they seemed like they were gone. And then you look you look at a rising river and go, well, where could they have possibly gone? This is the best protection. This has got plenty of forage in there. Why are they moving? And um, you just move, you know, some days you just move a hundred yards. Some days you move, you know, a quarter mile up river and you find this same group of fish again. It's, and it's, it's amazing to me that they move that much um, until, you know, that wintering time. Right. So throughout the season, you know, I think one of the hardest times of, of to fish in the Susquehanna can be, especially if you're targeting big fish is the summertime when that river's low and they can literally be anywhere yeah. and they are, and they're not grouped together in these, you know, 25 to 30 fish groups. And you've got to make a day out of, you know, two, three, four fish groups that are out in hunting packs and out on, you know, behind one boulder or out on a flat, just, just cruising with one or two other, you know, partners. It's, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I, before we get kind of into the meat of this, one, your guide service is Real River Adventures, correct? Correct. And uh, how many years have you been guiding, Chris? So I think this is my 15th year. I think I've done uh, half of that time was uh, in prep of, of you know going full time. I had always wanted to, you know, after my design job was done in, in electronics, I wanted to move into something that was more outdoors, being stuck. As I was telling Christian, being stuck indoors for 30 something years is nice on a hot day, but I still found myself looking outside and going, what a beautiful day. Right. And so now when it rains or it, it takes a lot to get me to complain about the weather. I mean, my wife goes, you're going out in this. I said, yeah, because for over three decades, I was stuck inside. I'm going out mm -hmm. this and enjoying every minute of it. So this I think this is going to be my eighth full year. And there's a difference between part time guiding and, and, and full time guiding. And it's not a bad difference. It's not. One is better than the other. It's just a different take on how much abuse your, your equipment can take six, you know, six days a week versus two. So, oh yeah. Um, and then before we kind of get into the smallmouth stuff, I, so I have been the Susquehanna on one occasion for four days, but for those who haven't been, or maybe have heard of it and don't understand it, it's a sight to behold. It's, I would say it's unlike, it's definitely unlike any river I've ever been on, but could you just sort of describe that river and that ecosystem for our audience that have not been there and experienced it. Sure. I mean, it, the, the, the age old saying about the Susquehanna is it's a mile long and a foot deep, right? And there's more rock than there is water. And if you just comically take that into your head for a minute and just think about what that must look like, that's what you're going to find in the summertime. It's really only like three quarters of a mile wide. And it's more, <laughs> is like that two, it? <laughs> it's more like two and a half foot deep, you know? Yeah. But um, it definitely holds up to the fact that there's as much rock as there is water. I mean, that's just, it's, and it's so wide. And the flow, if you look on a chart, it looks like there's just a ton of water coming out. But the flow, because of it's so wide, it really has, 
it, on days in the summertime when it's at its normal low, it doesn't look like there's any current whatsoever. It, and what ends up happening is because there's no current, that rock that's two inches, three inches under the water is not marking whatsoever. So, and there, it's a, a lot of its base is this black rock that you just, you cannot see the bottom until it actually comes up on you. I mean, it's those rocks, those rocks run down through the, 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 you know, the mountains, it, it makes a, <laughs> it makes running the river in any boat, even, even a kayak, a challenge in the summertime. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's and it. When it's, you say, when you say it's three quarters of a mile wide, like, I mean, is that like kind of at the mouth? I mean, how, how many miles of river are really that wide? That's a good question. So I'm talking mostly about the Harrisburg area. Um, there are areas where it will narrow down to a half mile, but um, <laughs> if you, if you're looking at from the true river, the main stem. So the main stem comes out around Sealings Grove, Pennsylvania. Um, and from there all the way down to the Chesapeake Bay, it is a fairly lo- large, wide river. There's a few dams um, that will make areas that you can run a prop boat in. But honestly, from you know the, the Harrisburg South area all the way up to that fiber dam that's in Sunbury, the Sealings Grove Sunbury area, it is a wide very shallow river. Now, when it branches off, it branches off and there's a west branch that, that, that goes out to the western part of the state. And then there's the main branch when I was growing up, but now they call it the north branch. North branch goes all the way up, goes into New York, goes across out towards Binghamton and draws back down into Pennsylvania again, and then back into New York. So when it's when you get to a certain point, downriver could be New York and upriver could be Pennsylvania because of the way that it dips in mm-hmm. and up there, it's a much smaller river. It's, it's a 10th of the width that you'd find out down here. And because of its width, you get a little bit more flow and you get a little more depth, but specifically where the, where the, what they call the trophy waters of the Susquehanna and which is from the fiber dam down um, it's shallow and, and wide with lots and lots of rocks. Yeah. Which is why I it's such a great fish. I think if you're listening to this podcast You've probably seen the YouTube videos and heard talk about, I mean, the Susquehanna is one of those rivers that it's like the smallmouth Mecca. I mean, everybody knows about it. It's this legendary smallmouth river, uh, you know, and it's one of those things that like the, the legends in this game kind of started guiding there or spent time there or whatever. It's, it's a, it's a big, big deal. Uh, in the smallmouth world, obviously. So uh, how many, like, there are a lot, I mean, there are quite a few guides that run that river, right? Oh, uh, there's, there's, there's dozens, uh, dozens. There's, yeah. there's a dozen there full-time in the Harrisburg area, right? Easily. Right. But so one thing that I saw about your guide service specifically, which I thought was super interesting, you're quoted in an article um, saying that if your clients don't catch 10, 12 inch smallmouth, then they get a free guide trip. Is that something that you still do? It, it's <laughs> close. So it's, it's a, it's 10 fish. It's a 10 fish guarantee. And, and when we started, it's funny, we started that my, my, uh, my partner and I, who still guides with me, he's mostly guide, guides uh, part-time. He hated the idea. He goes, you know, cause you don't know what you're going to get on the boat. You don't know what kind of weather you're going to get. You don't know what it, and so the way we run it and we were, we run it from the very beginning was um, if you get on the water with us 
and give us a, a chance, right? I mean, if we're obviously, if, if we're on the water for an hour and you don't want to fish anymore, there's nothing I can do for getting your 10 fish. But if, if you'll give it the old college try, um, we'll put 10 fish in the boat minimum. And if we don't, all you pay is a fuel cost. So I think we have a $50 fuel cost. If you So in, rather than paying the full price of the trip, you get out of it for $25 a piece with you and your partner. Hmm, and I've cashed it. Like we've had... It, I was going to say, know, how many times have you actually had to take? I, the- I was I, I was just challenged by this by my wife the other day. I think it was eight times in in the uh, in at least the last ten years. It was eight times, and in each one of those instances, it was something that was bizarre that was happening. It was um, usually it was an incredible storm up in New York that nobody knew about. So you get out there in the morning, and if you can get it before the rise comes, I don't care how much it comes up, you're going to get your ten fish. It'll just be really fast. But you know, you you wake up in the morning. And you go out to the boat ramp and it's just absolute chocolate milk, right? And the one particular day, I remember there was like trees coming down and the guys go, hey, you know, we really want to go out. We want to see if we can get those 10 fish. <laughs> and I said, listen, I'll take you out. But if it gets dangerous, we're going to pull off. I mean, I just, I, I don't, I, I'll i waive the fuel cost if it gets dangerous. And we went out and um, I think we had seven bass and a catfish. And um, I looked at the guys and said, you know, we could probably beat this up to get three more bass in the boat, but it's just not safe. We're going to get off and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give you guys the, the, your, you know, your, your money back as far as the bookings and everything goes. And we'll book another day. And, and they were funny about it. They really were kind of odd about taking the money back, but I said, listen, this policy, if I, if I make an excuse and don't do it now, I mean, I'm probably going to hear about this for years, not from you guys, from somebody else. So we're, <laughs> we're keeping true to the, to the form of it. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. But I, it, that's it's usually a, a wild situation. I mean, it's it's and believe me, I've had my I've had my twelve to seventeen fish days in that river. That river can can humble almost anybody. But more often than not, you know, you're going to get your fish, and you're going to get some really good ones in those in those groups. <laughs> yeah, the, I would say the times I've been out there, it, it which you know, I know you probably go out more traditional of a you know morning to afternoon sort of thing. Um, but we did some floats just like the last hour of the night, um, or like of daylight, man, <laughs> I, yeah. there was some crazy, crazy, like we had one where I, I was out there fishing for like 45 minutes. I had like 11 over 18 inches. I mean, it was just like a crazy, but I'm sure you're, you know, that's no news to you, but it's just not. Well, I mean, it's, 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 so in the summertime, um, I try to get out of the city because I, I, I live fairly close to, to Harrisburg area and I do my guide trips, you know, from mid, mid, um, May, mid March through the end of May. And it used to close at the end of May and you couldn't fish it for a while. So I had got myself into a pattern where I would go about 130 miles upriver and I have a camp up there with my own, you know, it's a, it's a campground that's open to the public, but I have a seasonal site there and we have our own boat ramp and we have our own tackle shop. So it's, it, it's very nice. And what I started doing was we would do five hours in the morning and, and two hours or three hours in the evening. And when guys started to get crazy about it, I said, listen, let's come in the night before. We'll fish three hours of the evening in the summertime. So you get that top water bite. You get that crazy feeding frenzy the last the last bit of daylight on most of those days. And then you, know, you, you, you stay at the campground. They rent uh, campers. You can tent if you want to tent camp. You, they, they rent campers with air conditions in them. And we get up the next morning at 5.30 in the morning and go out and finish the trip off. You get your full eight hours in. Mm-hmm. But that way you're never fishing in the dog days, dog time of the day. 
and you get that crazy bite that you were just talking about, which is the last hour of the day. And you get that wonderful bite that is the first couple hours of the morning. And, you know, so it, it really changes the dynamic. A lot of guys like it from a cut, from a, a client standpoint, from a guide standpoint, it means you're going to be taking right. two launches a day and you're going to be burning a bit more fuel. But to be honest with you, it, this is a business about entertaining and putting people on something. It's a recreation. So if I can give or sell or produce a better product, I'll, I'll do it. And that's why we do what we call split trips. So from June until the beginning of October, all of my trips are split trips. You come in the night. I mean, you can you can get a three-hour evening or a six-hour morning if you wanted it. But I would say 95% of the guys who book that time of year never see a noon time. They never fish at noon, right, unless they're going out themselves. Wow, We're back by 10, 10.30 in the morning. And they're on I, the I don't know if I've ever heard of that. And get ready for my next guys coming in at 5.30. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever it's heard different. of that. It's different. Like I said, it's cool. It's it's not the it's not the smartest way to make money from a fuel consumption, right? But it's the same amount of hours. It's just one extra one extra launch a day and and a bit more fuel. But we catch a lot more fish. I mean, it's like you said, you if you hit one of those feeding friends in your wolf pack in the morning or night at first light, last light, uh, you could catch half your fish in those two hours. I mean, yeah, on a six to eight hour trip. Half your fish came in the last hour of the first day you were there, and the first hour of the second day you were there. It's yeah. Why miss what, that? When we were there, um, it was I, it. The pattern was just. I think the river was up, and and it was we saw fireworks. So it was around Fourth of July time frame, um, and uh, the, it was like the easiest pattern in the world. It was like in the when they would go in, you know, that time of night. It's just the tips, the front sides of those grass islands, which I know we didn't really talk about that a ton, but that's something that's like really unique about that river is just there's tons and tons of grass islands everywhere, which makes it really fun. It's that's to me, that's like you have those weird ledge systems, which I've never seen in any other river before, like those real long ledges that run across. And then you have the grass islands and the primary islands. Is that, is that typically like your three main, you know, kind of areas that you target or those, those things? Yeah. I mean, it's in the morning, they're going to be tight to something feeding, right? Either tight to the shoreline, which is rare on the main stem up North, they're a little bit more, more shoreline based. But if you're fishing successfully on the shoreline, you're generally missing the boat, right? right? I mean, most of the time you're out mid river, you're fishing, like you said, a hard Island, a scrub Island. I'll add those to it because they're different than a, than a, a hard island. Mm-hmm. Of course, the grass islands are wonderful. Whether they're whether the grass is tickling the surface because it's rising, or if the grass is full, you know, and you can see it, or even if the grass is even there, just the root systems there, they're still. If I took you out today, you know, if we could get out there in the ice, we would still hit those grass beds just a little bit different way than what you were hitting. But it's that's a key factor. I mean, the, from a crayfish and the minnow and the 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 insect life that's in those things, it's amazing, you know, and and. You know, if you're shoreline fishing, you would watch the birds. And, and on this river, you can watch the birds too. Um, you'd be surprised how many times I've found fish by following the blackbirds around or those stupid cormorants that everybody hates. I mean, there's you you can find out a lot about what's going on in the river by the way some of that bird life is acting, right? So, uh, yeah. and that, that that that's just one of those things where you 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 can't stay away from the ledges and you can't ignore them because while they're on the grass one day, they might be you know, focused on the ledges for a while, especially when that sun comes out, 
you're going to be on the shadow side of those ledges or in the cool of, of some of those deeper you know draws where you get a little bit more current than you did in the flats. Um, but I'll be honest with you, some of that in-between water that looks like it's no man's land, you know what I mean? The stuff you usually paddle through. Mm-hmm. A lot of my, you know, mid-morning bass, late day bass are coming, you know, in that dog when I, when I fished during the, the, the spring and fall are coming in those flats where somewhere either I know it or we're, we're, we're just casting crankbaits or spinner baits or top water or, you know, weightless flukes or some kind of a finesse bait. And there happens to be a depression. I'm not kidding you. You know, you're, you're, you're in this 18 to two foot, 18 inch to 24 inch water. And all of a sudden there'll be a depression where it's 36 inches or it's 35 inches. Or, I mean, just that little bit of a difference or a boulder, the size of a beach ball is in the middle of nothing. I mean, there's no vegetation, there's nothing that's obvious, but there's one boulder and down either in front of beside or behind that boulder is three very hungry, very active fish. And if you, if you see that boulder, you don't see the fish because they're so camouflaged, even that shallow, clear water. If you hit that spot with one of your baits in the summertime, you know, your your dial-in area is huge. They're going to hear that splash and come, come after that bait. And you'd be surprised how many times people will come and try to fish around me thinking that I'm fishing like nowhere land, but I'm actually targeting 10 or 15 boulders that I kind of know where they are. And I'm kind of drifting so that my clients can hit them. And if you can see the boulders, unfortunately, the fish can see you. So I kind of tell them, okay, you see that house over there? You see that, that, that island over there? I want you to throw straight towards that island. Don't worry about where the bait lands. When, when, it, when you get over top of it, I'm going to yell at you and you're going to stop or you're going to twitch it or you're going to make that crankbait hit bottom. And you'd be surprised how many guys think that I'm some kind of Kreskin, right? The great Kreskin. <laughs> you called that one. It's like, yeah, that, that's, that's one rock out in the middle of nowhere. They have no other place yeah. to be. Of course they're going to be there. I basically live on this river. What do you want from me? They're <laughs> <laughs> almost named. Yeah. Well, uh, it, so do you do, do you do fly trips as well or do you only do conventional trips? I do. Um, the, the hard part about the fly fishing trips is if fly fishing, if you know, if you've ever gone to a fly fishing class, the very first day you usually go fly fishing in a class, you don't do much fishing. You usually stand on the parking lot or a field or you go in the water, but you're really not throwing anything that's going to be successful because they're trying to get that you know, that, that, that form down. The nice thing about smallmouth is they're going to eat, you know, they're going to eat even on a poor cast. I mean, you don't have to worry about touching the lure to the surface on your back cast or not that you want to do that, but it's not like a trout that said, Nope, that doesn't look right. I'm going to turn around and leave. I mean, the bass are not nearly as picky, Uh, but you, you know, being new to, to fly fishing and new to this, if you're not willing to throw a streamer or a woolly bugger or something that's going to be, you know, a bit bigger and a bit deeper than your, most of your conventional fly fishing is, you're probably not going to do well. It doesn't say that you can't throw poppers and top water or smaller stuff, but you're generally throwing a five, six, seven, even eight weight rod, and you're throwing larger, you know, clouser type minnows or, you know, something that's very similar to a moldage or something like that. Yeah. So are most of your clients then conventional guys? Like I would say most of them get on the boat with, um, I'd say 65% are absolute pure spinner bait, spinning, spin casting guys, you know, they're, they're throwing, you know, you're spinning, spinning reels and we, we have Shimano and Daiwa stuff on the boat. And then the guys who want to throw their bait casters, I usually tell them to bring their own unless they want to learn. If they want to learn how to throw it, I'll bring left and right ones on the boat with me. 
but it's it's usually coming home at the end of the day with you know birds nests on every rock. Yeah, so you like spend more time picking out back lessons than you would. Uh-huh. Teach so them. the guys that really that really like to fish it with a bait caster usually bring their own because it's bait casters are a bit different than a spinning reel is, right? You yep. you get ones that just fit your hands better. That you like the way that the 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 system works. You know, the anti backlash on those things can be phenomenal on some of the newer ones. So. I do offer them, but mostly the guys who fish bring their own. Yeah, it's probably a bit of a red flag for you if somebody says, no, I want to use a bait caster, but they don't have their own. I would say that's probably a red flag. It is, and I, and I don't mind it. Mean, I, don't, I don't, again, yeah. you, I have people that come out because they've never fished the river. I have people that come out that are trying to best a numbers day or a, a certain f- size fish that they've caught. I mean, I've got guys who are really only interested in that one fish, right? The next one. They don't care how big it is. They just want that first fish. And then the, the next fish they're concerned about is the very next fish that they put it, put the other ones behind them. And they're only interested in that next, next fish. And then I have guys that come out and they want to just, you know, they want to experience a river. I have guys that come from, um, from out of the country. They come once a year and they, they're never guys that are ever going to get high numbers because after each cat f- fish they catch, they lean back in the boat and they, they'd smoke a cigarette and, um, <laughs> you know, talk about the whole adventure of whether they caught the fish or lost the fish. And then once the cigarette's done, they're back to fishing again. Well, you know, it's like, how many packs of cigarettes do you guys bring in a boat? Because it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I like, think This, is, a, this is America. This is yeah. America. Catch more fish. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I found that they've taught me how to relax a bit. Cause I'm like, you know, I'm sure. usually driving. Okay, let's go. Let's get, let's get that rod back in the water. Yeah. And, right. And to that point, I, I have usually have 12 rods in a boat. So two anglers, 12 rods, I usually have them rigged with different ones. And so I'll, unlike other guides, I'll have 10 of those rods are spinning rods and the other two are just bait casters. And usually there's a, a left-handed and a right-handed, and I have a couple other reels in the boat that I can swap out. But like I said, most guys who, who want to throw a bait caster usually bring their own. Do you, uh, do you do any fishing with your clients or do you Kind of just... I hate to fish when I'm with clients and they'll t- they'll all tell you that uh, I absolutely hate it. And the reason why is it's not that I'm a better angler. It, it may be that I know where to cast that I can't, I can't do it, but I found that if I focus, if I know there's a fish there and I focus on teaching them where to cast and being patient and paying attention to the boat, you know, whether we catch that fish or not, you know, it, it's more important to me that to see the clients catch the fish. So uh, one of my worst, best situations this year was I had you know, guys were fishing behind a grass bed and I told them, I said, the fish are here. You're just, whether they're going to be tight to it or they're going to be way down from out. I'm not really sure, but we've got to fish this. And the, the one guy said, well, why don't you, why don't you throw that crank that you've been telling us to throw all morning? I said, no, why don't you throw it? He goes, no, I'm not really sure how that, how to throw that. I said, it's not hard. You reel it. You feel it hit bottom, you slow it down a bit, and then you reel it to get to where you hit the bottom every once in a while. So, of course, you know, they throw 10 times to the spot. And as, you know, they're dogging me to throw it, I said, if I'm going to catch a fish, if I throw it, and sure enough, I throw it out there. <laughs> and luckily, it was the second biggest fish of the day. At the time, it was the first. but And I knew when the fish hit that it was just bad news all the way, right? Oh, and, no. you know, you, you just don't <laughs> you just don't want to be in that situation. It's not for me. I have guys that um, I'll do, you know, multi-book trip, trips with. And they'll tell me, listen, if I can't fish, I'm not going to go. I said, listen, you run your boat the way you run it. I run the boat the way I want to run it. I find that I'm more f- 
focused on boat control, um, teaching people how to fish. I, I would rather not pick up a, a rod during the day. Mm. I've got so many opportunities to fish throughout the day um, when the clients are not on the boat that I don't have to fish. I'd rather not. So I don't want my totals to get in there. I don't want me to snipe or or, or harvest a fish that, that somebody else could, could have caught. You know, it's just to me, it feels like, you know, you're robbing them of that fish. So just for me, not for all guides. And it's not, not yeah, we, not we've seen it both situation. ways. So yep. <laughs> we, we've just, had the conversation before. <laughs> occasionally so. I'll have a guy that will come out and is, you know, he'll, I do have one guy that wants to come out and he always, his words are, he wants to judge how he's, how he's becoming a smallmouth angler. So they just kick his ass. You just, so he'll want to beat him fish up with him and just try to try to, you know, <laughs> and so, you know, I, I have a couple of those guys that we'll do that with, but on the most, most of the occasions, it's, it's the people that come out and know that I'm not picking up a rod unless it's to get a snag out or yeah. retie. And like I said, if I'm not fishing, I don't have to worry about, you know, taking that fish from somebody. I don't have to worry about right. not communicating. Hey guys, the fish are there or watching. I mean, a lot of times, you know, sometimes these fish will be really aggressive where you could be, you know, you could never fish in your life and that fish hits and you know, it hits other times. I'll see the pickup on the end of the rod and say, Hey, hey you Chris, got a fish on. Are you, is he breaking up on your screen, Josh? Yeah. He was breaking up a little bit on me. Yeah. You there? Oh, there you're back. You're, I think you're back now. Okay, you, you broke up for that. a second on us. Sorry about that. Uh, no, you were, I think, well, I, I don't know what you were saying cause you broke <laughs> up, but Just I think I, 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 go ahead. I feel that as a, as a guide, I'm better to do my guide job when I don't have a fishing rod in my hand. Now, if someone wants to see how to, how to fish a certain, you know, bait or where the cast is, I can take the time to show them that, you know, really quick. But I would say, if you look at me from a, you know, pair of binoculars or, you come up alongside us, you're never going to see a rod in my hand. You're going to see me fishing. You know, if I'm fishing, I'm pulling something off the line, you know, that's a snag or I'm helping somebody with, with a, a hook that's buried a bit deeper than they want it to be. Yeah. You're a good man. Um, well, I, I, uh, so I have one specific question, but I'm going to wait on that. And it has to do with, uh, what Chris was kind of alluding to earlier. The, the, one of the big reasons I had you on, I've actually, I think followed your uh, Facebook page for a long time. And, you know, I'm a small mouth guy, so I sort of, you know, follow a lot of guides. And I, I saw one particular post this year that it just, it was a stat. I'm not going to lie. It was, it was a, <laughs> it was a very heavy stat. And uh, someone that, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that don't like, they might see that and they'd be like, oh yeah, whatever. Like I knew what it meant. <laughs> I was like, Oh man, that's a bold claim. Um, so we'll talk about that because I have a, a specific question for you. But springtime, so you say you start in March, uh, correct? Yes. Okay. So let's say um, your first trip out in March. Um, let's say let's say March twentieth. You go out and you're 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 you know clearly it's Fisher coming out of winter. It's, very early spring. What, what, what are you doing? What are you looking for in March? So the very first thing I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I've got my, my temperature gauge going. I like to know where the water is. Um, and, and I, I explain this to people in the, in December or late November or early January, when that water first goes to 33 or 34 degrees, 
that's a tough, that's going to be a tough day of fishing usually. Not that you don't, not that I haven't, haven't had good days at that temperature, but it's almost like, you know how when you're getting, your body's getting acclimated to the cold weather, that first couple of days where it's really cold, you're like, man, this is, this is crazy cold, right? And then, you know, you, you've had a, a mild winter and the day goes below 30 and you're like, wow, this is, I'm not going out in that stuff, right? Where if you have a, a winter where it's cold like it is now, I, I'll go out with a sweatshirt on, you know, and it's 25 degrees out and I've, I'm okay because I've I spent three or four weeks now in this ridiculously cold water. So the bass are no different than we are. They're they're looking for comfort, whether it's you know the, the a flow rate for the current or the type of food they want or the bottom that's softer than other bottoms because they're going to be laying on the bottom like they do in the wintertime. It could be a number of reasons, but when you come out of you could have ice on the water and two days later that ice is gone, or you know, mostly gone, and that water temperature went from you know, a balmy 33 to 34 degrees and it's at 36, those fish are going to be hot. They're going to be, they're going to be active. And a lot of people don't realize how active fish are going to be in that month of March. I mean, it's once they come out of that, that dormant, you know, rarely feeding phase of where they feed one or two times a week at most once a day to that warmer water, they're going to gorge. And when they gorge, it, it can be like, it can be, I mean, I've had plenty of 37, 38, 39 degree March days where we've had close to hundred fish in the boat. And mm. days earlier, you were lucky to get a bite because you know, that just wasn't the timing wasn't right. So you catch so, them mostly on bottom on those sort of days. I always, in the wintertime, I always start off with some kind of a finesse bait, but I'm going to throw a jerk bait every day from, from mid-November all the way to the end of March or end of May, I'm going to throw a jerk bait. I'm going to have, if a client's willing to throw a jerk bait, I'm throwing, he's throwing a jerk bait. If not, he's going to play around with a swim bait a little bit more than he might be comfortable with. You know, tubes are, are definitely a big part of fishing, but as a guide, I get tired of seeing them. I really do. And the Ned rigs are wonderful, but as a guide, I get tired of seeing them. So, you know, I won't be throwing top water in March, but I'll be throwing, if we get anywhere close to 40, someone's throwing a spinner bait, someone's throwing a crankbait. Yeah. You know, it, it, and if it's, especially if it's on a rise, right? If you're coming out and it's on a rise, I tend to put that stuff down in December because, you know, it, it's just a, a 38 degree in December is so much different than a 38 degree in March, if that mm. makes any sense. No, it does. Perfect. Absolutely. So do, is, is Susquehanna now a 365 day a year? And that may have been the worst pronunciation of Susquehanna ever just for the record yeah but, no, but, but is that's, now a 365 day a year fishing season it can be as long as the, it's really for me it's the ice the ice is the biggest you know the biggest deterrent if you if you have an area that you know um, that is dammed off or an area that has some kind of a warm water discharge or if you have some of these uh, creeks that feed it you know they're 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 cold water creeks, but the temperature in that creek, no matter what color, what the temperature is outside, is always 40-something degrees. You're, right. you're always going to have those spring-fed creeks. You're always going to have water underneath those you know, that, does, that doesn't allow the ice to flow. And you can catch fish there. Um, for me, I would say last year there was one or two days where we had skim ice where I didn't feel like going out because I had so much other great days to go. Um, this year I think it's you know probably more like a 10-and-a-half-month river, but – I think with the but way they're that not closed going, anymore. No, they're not the closed. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a tough one as a guide who makes his living doing this. 
the, the closure was difficult, but I worked around it by moving upriver outside of the closed area, you know, some hundred plus miles upriver. It's a, it's a, it's a resource first. It must be a resource first business. If you're poorly hooking fish, if you're not taking care of them, when you, when you catch them, if you're going back to the same place day after day after day and beating up on these fish, you're not doing what's best for these fish. Right. So no amount of dollars can, can fix that. So I like the closure of the season. Um, they tried to pinpoint it where, you know, the, the, the spawn was early most years and maybe they didn't get it right. But the closure, the six week closure for me was a blessing because it, you know, it was a good time to refresh. And I'll be honest with you. I still kind of, I take that time when I don't book any trips the last, the last day of May through the 15th of June. I don't book any trips at all. I, I take that time off either to spend with my family or I go up and fish, Lost you know, uh, up, someplace yeah, else in the lake or something us. like that. That's well behind. Maybe. And, and, oh. There we go. Hey, we lost you, uh, Chris, when you said, I don't book any trips on the last day. The last day of, I don't book any trips on the last day of May through the 15th of, of June. I, I, I just, I find it to be the time when those fish are the weakest and, you know, year over year, I, I think it's just easier to leave those fish alone. So I tend to go up somewhere into upstate New York, Canada, or which has been closed for the last couple of years, or into the New England states where it's colder and they're a little bit further behind us, and uh, or I'll spend time with my family. I just that, those are the only two weeks I don't guide. Yeah, and I could yeah. see that as a guide. You know, it's like especially spawning fish. You is like the same. At least from our experience, like they usually spawn, you know, around the same area. So if you have like a you know, 21, you know, 20 inch fish, like you sort of know where to go. And it's like, I don't even know how I'd handle that as a guide. It's like, it's you go back and <laughs> catch it, you know, there, there's no way that you're not going to hit a fish. I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to camp over top of the spawning beds to be fishing fish that, you know, if that female spawns, she's going to glide off that bed hours later and be resting someplace. And of course, hungry. And you could be way off of, of a spawning area and you hit that fish and, you know, you can feel them. You can feel them when they're weak. I mean, mm-hmm. you can tell when I'll land a fish and if it's a, if it's a tank, I'll even tell them, listen, we're not even going to take her out of the water. I can tell she's not, you know, we just unfortunately hit a fish that, you know, is, was hours away from spawning and we're just going to give her, give her some time. The males can handle it, but I mean, it's just not, it's not my cup of tea. I mean, you, mm-hmm. like I said, if it's clear water, you know what you're doing, right? You know, if you're hitting them. If it's dirtier water, you know, you, you know, unless you're, you could fish spawn in a whole bunch of areas, right? But if you're behind a giant ledge that's backing up water and there's a lot of sand and gravel behind that, you're going to be, you're going to be targeting, you know, yeah. you're, it's, it's just, and it's a river and it's a rock and everywhere you look, there's rocks. So there's certain areas that are prolific and well-known for, you know, hundreds of hundreds of beds. And there's other places where there might be one or two beds behind us, a rock and the fish might only go one stage there and then you never see them again. But there are a few areas where, you know, you, you, you just try to stay away or you visit it. So the, the, the spawn is, is really funny because some days it lasts for a few days and some days it feels like a week and other days it seems like they were on and off. Like, mm. I saw a thousand fish behind this bed. It was really cool looking and came back the next day and the place was completely vacated. I mean, just Mm -hmm. floating through it. You know, the first day you saw them all chasing each other and all of a sudden they go back two days later and it's like a ghost town. So, I mean, how is that even possible? Yeah. Yeah. 
It's wow. a really weird thing. And I don't know enough about it. I just know that if you stay away from it, you're better off than taking a chance of, you know, harming the, the fish. Yeah. Well, I know that it was closed for a long time. Um, yeah, the we... moratorium was 2012 until I think 17 or 18. So it was, okay. a, it was six or seven years where it was a moratorium. You could not fish for anything. I mean, you could fish for catfish. And if you knew a walleye spot, you'd go out. But if they saw you fishing for bass, they usually chased you off it. I don't think anybody ever got a ticket. but they, they definitely So one thing that we didn't really ask you, which we, we generally get into early on, but uh, you worked as an engineer before, right? Uh, an electrical engineer. Correct. And did you go to school in Pennsylvania then? I did. I, um, I finished my degree up with, in Penn state. Um, I, I happened to, you know, it's one of those things where right place, right time. We were one of the first graduating classes that did design work on a computer. So it was 84, 85, and they wow. were just starting to come into the, the business world where a lot of the engineering was done on a calculator with a you know pen and piece of paper. Um, when we got there, design work was almost all CAD design, computer aided design. So we came in on the forefront of that where that business was years old. And wow. so they needed bodies. And so they ended up taking my whole class uh, that came in at four or five of us hadn't even graduated yet. And they put us through school the rest of the way. Wow. So, and you got hired out by, was it Bell Labs that hired Bell you right Labs out first, of? Yep. Wow. Which if you're, uh, if you're not familiar with Bell Labs, it's a pretty prestigious, uh, you know, well, it was. It was, yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty prestigious uh, development. You know, it was on the leading edge of technology, uh, both for defense work, for industry. Uh, had the world's leading, you know, mathematicians, computer engineers. Uh, it's a pretty, pretty great place to cut your teeth as an engineer, I'm sure. But uh, either way, you know, you're out doing what you love now, which is pretty, pretty fascinating, pretty cool. And uh, since you brought up catfish. Uh, can you kind of run us through what's going on in the Susquehanna and what the controversy is and uh, any takes that you might have on the sure. issue? I, I think I was, I, I alluded to this a bit before, you know, I've been wanting to do this piece, you know, that would be called confessions of a river guide, you know? And uh, of course the topic is very, very, you know, polarizing as to, you know, this invasive species we have here now called the flathead catfish that was introduced by people who enjoy catching catfish they did it illegally and um, introduced this apex predator that uh, just can eat almost anything it can fit in its mouth. And it's, it's, it's a pretty aggressive fish. I mean, I've caught them on crankbaits, jerkbaits, swimbaits, tubes, um, Ned rigs. I mean, I've never caught one on top water, but I wouldn't put it past them, uh, especially if they're on the move. They're, they're fairly easy to catch. Um, which is which makes them kind of fun, but they are an apex predator and they produce quickly and grow rather fast. So it's one of those things where, you know, if you had heard me talk in previous years, you know, you would have heard me, you know, go off about, you know, debating on and complaining and outlining all the harms that these things can do and how it's changing our fishery and just a number of really negatives that, you know, I was, I was down and out for a while because here we have this, world-class fishery that's miles from my house that I get to spend a lot of time on. And now I've got, you know, 
in areas that I used to fish heavily for these wintering or staging fish, they're, they're, they're just not like, they're not there like they used to be. Um, I think people would be kind of, um, amazed to hear me say this and I kind of amazed myself because my point has always been very negative towards them. They, those fish have made me a better fisherman. Um, there was a time when a certain time of the year would come and I would go to one or three or four or five of these, what I'll call community holes and set up camp like with, you know, dozens of other boats and we would fish and catch 30 to 150 fish without even really trying. And this has been progressively getting, you know, these areas are progressively getting more catfish in them and less smallmouth in them. So to be successful, I had to change my winter game, my cold water game a lot. And when you change your cold water game, you're going to change your warm water game too, because the fish aren't starting from the same, same starting point. So um, I'm finding that, you know, were years where I could fish two or three spots all day long and catch 25 or 30 fish or more out of each spot. Now I'm hitting 35, 40 spots a day, um, not running and gunning necessarily, but I'm hitting a lot more spots targeting groups of five or six fish. And, and that's how we're catching our, our, our numbers these days. And the yeah. advantage to that is that when you're fishing in a big group of fish, if the fish that are, you're fishing over are predominantly middle-sized fish, you have to weed through a lot of those middle-sized fish to get to those big ones. But if you're out hitting more target areas where the aggressive fish who are feeding, you're more likely to come across those four, four and a half, even five pound fish, because now you're hitting a bunch of different spots that, and not just comfortably fishing one hole that has literally hundreds, if not thousands of fish in it. So by targeting the smaller areas, I'm moving around a lot more and moving around a lot more. I'm, you know, everybody hits one on the head one of these days. And that's usually what happens. I'm getting some of these bigger fish just by changing that pattern up a bit. Uh, no, that's, that's interesting. So, I mean, have you seen any, I mean, is there a noted decline in the smallmouth population? I mean, what so efforts is the Pennsylvania the department? Here for the fast, last five years, I think that myself and a number of us that I would say are my contemporaries, right? Either they're guides or people I know that fish regularly. So I'll just call them contemporaries. Some are younger, some are older, but I think all of us would have collectively said that we've lost a lot of fish, right? We've, we've had that conversation. I'm not as sure that, I mean, I'm sure we've lost fish through floods. I'm sure that the catfish are eating a number of these fish, but nature has this way of rebounding. And I think that what's happening is if you, if you look at your calendar and say, it's, you know, it's Thanksgiving and you're going to go to a community hole that you've been fishing for 25 years and expect to catch 75 bass, I think those days are over. I think if you want to catch 75 bass, you're going to have to hit a lot more spots and burn a lot more fuel. And that has made the fishery better. I mean, I can't believe I'm actually coming out and saying it, but it, it, it means that the more time you spend on that river, the better off you are at finding these fish you're not likely to beat the living snot out of these community holes because they just don't have the bass that they used to. And the downfall perhaps might be that in a big winter storm, I mean, one that dumps a lot of rain or a lot of water into the river where it floods, these fish are going to be less protected because they're not in those deeper holes that are now home to catfish. And this isn't a guess. I mean, we've dropped cameras down. This is not a guess that these fish are there. The, the catfish are definitely there. I mean, when you can go with a swim bait and a heavier jig head 
and catch five and six fish on a row on consecutive cast that are flathead catfish, that's telling you that that's what's there, right? I mean, even if you didn't have the camera. So are you guys killing them? Are you throwing them back? What's yeah, I the have, you know, the older department? I get, the more mortality, my own mortality must settle in. I, I, there was years when I was, you know, threatening to kill them. I just can't kill it for no reason. And I don't eat the fish out of the river. So I'm not, I just let them go. I mean, it's, we're going to deal with them and, you know, the bass are going to feed on their fry and they're going to feed on the larger bass from time to time. And they're going to be, you know, they're going to be fighting over forage. But I think as these bass change their behavior, they're going to go to the shallower areas where these larger catfish are just not comfortable. It doesn't mean that catfish won't go shallow, but I don't think they spend nearly as much time in the shallow as the, as the bass do. So well, we have them in our rivers. I mean, we have flatheads here, so yeah, they could definitely like said, coexist. Yeah. I think the first couple of years were tough because you know, there was sure. some, some mortality. There was some change in that where they were going, but like I said, now that I've been following them for the last couple of years and and, f- and fishing for them in very non-traditional spots, I would never be in two to three foot of water in December, ever. And now I am. I would mm. never be in those those areas. I'd be in six to 10 foot of water all the time. And now I'm finding myself where I'm looking at the water and going, man, there can't be a fish there. It's all I can see is gravel, but they're there. But I think that if you're, if you're a person who has been fishing the Susquehanna for decades, and you have been away from it for a while, when you come back, you're going to have to adjust a little bit of what you're doing because it isn't to say that there's no bass in those community holes in the winter time, but there's not the numbers that there used to be. So there's a lot of disappointed faces if they spend eight hours fishing the way they did you know, 10 years ago. Hmm. If you rethink it a little bit and try to, to you know, understand that those bass are being harassed a bit, right? Even if they're not being fed on, they're being harassed by these hundreds of other fish that are in this area. You're, you're going to be able to find fish in shallower water and have a good day still. I mean, it's it's just changing up your game plan. And by changing up your game plan, you're becoming more of a well-rounded fisherman. And I think that's, like I said, it's, I'd love to do this piece that was, you know, the confessions of a river guy, because nobody has bad mouth, you know, the the introduction of these flatheads than I have. Right? So, <laughs> and then you've come out publicly I, I honestly, on probably, oh, yeah. it's definitely the biggest smallmouth uh, focused podcast that's based out of central Indiana, hosted by two men that focus exclusively on river eye and smallmouth. So, you know, yeah. the reach is tens of people. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing I did, uh, I was curious about, I mean, is it, like, do you think that like the way that you're having to adapt and change up your techniques and kind of uh, move into a, a broader search pattern, I guess, as opposed to going to these community holes, as you call them, uh, Josh has a Josh has been to several community holes. Um, <laughs> I think it may be a different a different situation, but that's kind of his thing. But anyways, I mean, if you would you attribute that more to like the proliferation of kayaks and the ability of, for people to get out on the water and fish? Um, certainly there's a population growth issue. Uh, with the internet age, people are more aware of the Susquehanna and, you know, certainly the sport has gained popularity. There is absolutely no question that this river is seeing more, pre- if you're going to use the word pressure, yeah. more casts per, per year than it ever has before. Um, kayaks, are, are one reason. And the, the beauty of the kayak is that 
you can launch it almost yeah. anywhere. You can go anywhere. If you need to, to walk around obstruction, you can do that. So, um, jet boats have definitely gotten better. Um, just look at the builds that we have here locally. Now there's four, four places within, you know, an hour drive of my house that, that build custom jet boats. I mean, it's, we definitely have uh, a registry of more paddle craft, more jet craft, more people who are fishing from the shoreline, more waders. I mean, it's, it's definitely more, it's more pressure. So it's, I don't it could be a combination of factors. It could be the proliferation of flathead catfish, more, more angling pressure. I'll be honest with you, the COVID thing, I mean, I hate to bring yeah. it up, but that people, people seem to be working from home or not working at all. And I guess the fish don't have COVID and it's, it's one of those things that is an approved activity. I mean, scandemic, am I right? So many, so many anglers on a Wednesday morning, you know, fishing, you know, when I get to a spot that I wouldn't see a boat till, you know, at the end of workday. Now I'm seeing three or four boats launching at the same time I am that you just, you know, that aren't guides that are just guys out there. It's just, it's, it's, it's changing. Uh, the good news is that the, the river has a ton of forage. The bass recover quickly. I mean, it's not like a trout. It's, it's, they're, they're a very hardy, very, very willing to eat. I mean, we've, we've actually videotaped catching the same fish more than once, you know, in, on like consecutive casts. I mean, they're, they're crazy. Right. So, uh, I think you have to be responsible if you're hitting the same spot after every day, you, you want to give those bass a break, but you know, it's, if you sit, you can watch a kayak pull in, then a boat will pull in and a kayak will pull in, a mm-hmm. boat will pull in. You'll see spots that are getting hit multiple times. And it's just, it's a, it's a new, a new way of fishing. And I think moving around more helps everybody. And I think that's, that's what I was trying to say by, by not camping out on spots or knowing when to move or, how to move or where to go for your next thing or building a pattern that you can hit 25 or 30 spots versus being only hit five or six during the day. That's how the game has changed in the Susquehanna. Hmm. Well, very interesting. Josh, ask this man about his stats. Yeah. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Yeah, we can hear you. All right. So kind of what I was alluding to earlier, um, I saw a post and it was, uh, like I said, it was very shocking to see. Um, I think the last number I saw was 109 20-inch smallmouth that have been boated this season. Is that is that sound about right? It is. It's, it's correct. Okay. It's correct. And it's, that's by far. I mean, it's the reason why I started posting that number is because I've never been anywhere close to that. In all the years of fishing, I've never been close to triple digits in that, that range. I mean... Honestly, I don't know that I'll do it again. I mean, it's it's just was just this crazy year. Well, that's because you I killed did... all hundred and ten of them. <laughs> <laughs> you mounted all. That's the next thing. You mounted all hundred and ten of them in your den. So um, <laughs> it's 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 really amazing because in those numbers, and I I keep track of stuff. I can't help myself. It's you know I we kept I kept a an engineering logbook for thirty two years. There he is. We, I, I was a math guy, right? So it, I just can't help myself but keep track on it. People, how do you know how many fish we have? I said it's a, it's a it's a whole number. What are we talking? I about? bet you have the best. You can't remember how many fish. I bet you have the best damn spreadsheet in the whole game. I bet you. I, really do. <laughs> I mean, I can look up temperature, and time of year. You know, I I focus on everything, and people laugh at me, but I just no. It's I cool. I would. You know how much money people that fish the Susquehanna would pay to get a hold of that. 
I mean, I have way too much data, but it's just one of those things where, you know, I, I don't know that I'm always out there trying to catch the big fish, but when you start to recognize the fact that, holy cow, we're catching a, almost a 20 inch fish every other time we go out, it's, 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 it's hard to fathom. I mean, we did have a couple of days where we had two or three and we had, you know, we would go four or five days in a row without one, but it was just an amazing year for numbers and size. And I, and I, that's why I have to, you know, admit I was a bit wrong on that catfish thing because there's no way I've ever had a year like this. So, no way. so what can you, um, so a couple of things, um, one, what was your longest like inch wise small mouth this year? So this year was the first year when it's very odd that I didn't have a number of fish over 22 inches. 22 was my, I think we had two over 22, but previous years I would have five or six fish that were 22 to 22 and a half inches. That would be, you know, those would be the big ones. And the biggest one we've ever caught on the river was 23. Okay. All right. That was my question. Why don't you, why don't you, you know, weigh fish? And and my thing is rulers are rarely wrong, right? So Mm -hmm. if you have a ruler and I have a ruler, whether you paid $50 for your ruler or you paid $10 for your ruler, 10 inch fish is a 10 inch fish is a 10 inch fish. The, The problem I have is I have three scales and they're anywhere from, yeah, forty dollars all the way up to one hundred and twenty dollars, and every one of them read a different number when I look at them. Some are close, right? You know, it, I've had fish that have been four point nine on one scale and five point one on another one, but you know, there's just way too many of these scales that are reading three pound fish at closer to four pounds, and I just it's just easier for me, and it's quicker. Yeah. I have you know I have rulers set up on the boat with bump boards on them. If the fish comes out of the water. You, you get a picture of it. I slide up against a bump board and I release the fish. It's so quick. I mean, it's that fish is not out of the water. And I used to tell people, I said, hold your breath. So what do you mean? I said, well, if you can hold your breath while it takes me time to get your picture, <laughs> measure the fish and get it back in the water, then I know the fish is going to be fine with it. So, you know, it's just one of those things where if you got to get it out and you got to zero your machine, I mean, some people are really good at it, but, um, and you can, on, a, on the, on this river, you're supposed to catch and immediately release. And so even measuring them might be on that, you know, scary edge of not immediately releasing, let alone sticking it in a live well, which you know is not legal for this river. Cause even in tournaments, you're not going to do that. And by the time you get your other thing rolling, I mean, I just don't know what, where the law stands in that catch and immediate release. Hmm. So yeah. the, the ruler works. And I, I have been challenged by a couple of my contemporaries to, to, to start weighing a few more of these fish because they think I have a, a few more chances of getting some five, five and a half pound fish, but that's a big river smallmouth. Yeah. I mean, when they get over five pounds, that's a that's a world class well, smallmouth anywhere you catch it. Saint yeah, Lake Saint Clair, you know, Finger Lakes, wherever you catch it, you know, that's that's world class. I mean, it, on, honestly, depending on the time of year, you can get a twenty inch fish that's three point nine pounds, sure. and you can get another one that's five point one, right? So, yep. it's it's a it's it's the the inch thing is you know is one thing, but then you also get those just absolute monsters of fish that are in that same measurement class but are a completely different grade of fish altogether and i think that's why people like to measure from a weight standpoint versus over you know how many inches it was yeah i'll agree with that that's sort of the argument chris and i've made over the years on the measuring thing it's like there's no gray area on that you know but besides maybe like you know half an inch or something depending on how you 
position the tail. And you can see it. You see some of these fish, you can kind of tell someone's long arm or, or if they got yeah. their elbows bent and it's helmet aside, that fish is hanging over both sides of their shoulders. I mean, that's a, that's well, we always long arm on that. That's just a rule. Though. I have a couple of friends like that. I have clients. I always take two pictures. One is a long arm, you know, shot. And then one is, you know, Hey, dial it back a bit. So, it, you know, God bless me with a good. six foot three wingspan. I'm going to use every bit of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That's so good. Well, so the last question on, uh, on the statistics, and this is sort of what uh, I was really curious of. So after this season, you know, obviously your stats are inflated, you know, from uh, what you normally experience. But what what's what's the thing you learned this year about trying to target fish over twenty inches? Like, can you give us a little breakdown of like? Where are you finding those fish? What what kind of habits? Like what what did you learn this year about that? So when when before the catfish arrived, it was you didn't I didn't move as much, right? I knew the fish were in these areas and I could just wait them out, right? Because they're eventually gonna come up alongside the the ledge or gonna go to this bigger grass bed. And so I I found that you would get the same number of cast points in, but you would be fishing over larger groups of fish. And when you're fishing over these larger groups of fish, I don't think you get some of those bulls, right? So by hitting, you know, instead of hitting eight spots a day and camping out on those spots for on average 45, 30, you know, 45, 50 minutes on, on each spot, I'm now hitting smaller areas. I'm moving a bit more than I, than I was ever comfortable with doing. And I'm hitting smaller areas because everybody's hitting the big areas. I mean, you were out there for four days. I'm sure you hit some areas that were, you know, or you had bigger islands and had bigger groups of fish on there. Mm-hmm. And it was, let's face it, it's more fun to catch fish than not catch fish at all. But when I go out now and we've got the, this COVID thing now going on where there's more people on the water, we have more jet boats on the water than ever. We have more kayakers. I have to find holes that are not everyday holes, but things that just your average person is not going to stop by because it doesn't look like much. And I'm targeting smaller groups of fish. And I think that a lot of times those smaller groups of fish tend to have these bigger fish in there. I just, that's the only explanation I really have is that now when I get there, I'm not weeding through teenagers. I'm catching the bigger fish almost right away. So cover more water. Yeah. Covering more water and I'm targeting this, this, the the more isolated areas. Uh, So what I mean by that is if, if you get to an area that has 25 fish in it, generally the first fish that bites is one of those little rats, those little tiny 12 and a half to 14 inch fish. That's faster than everybody else. If you've ever been to yep. Cabela's or bass pro shops, when they feed those fish, that little tiny 12 inch bass, whether it's a large mouth or a small mouth is usually on that bait almost as soon as they throw that minnow in the water and the bigger lethargic ones, you know, the ones you're really after, you know, they're, they're usually getting to the bait a bit, a bit, yeah, they're the ones Slowly, that are usually yeah. following behind the fish that you've hooked, waiting for yeah. bait fish to come out of the little one's mouth or whatever. Or so I think on the days where my numbers are the highest, I might get lucky and get one because of, you know, just, just out of the sheer numbers. But a lot of times when I when I have these um, these days where I've had to hit 25 spots to catch 30 fish, those are the days that we have these incredible numbers from 18-inch to 21-inch fish. Really? It's just... Yeah, because we're we're not on those holes where the bait's going to hit the water and that teenage bass. I mean, you, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but when when my boy was a teenager, I couldn't keep cold cuts in the refrigerator. It was impossible. 
Yeah. You know, I thought one day I'll get five pounds of meat. Well, they just ate five pounds of meat. They just, <laughs> you couldn't keep a teenager out of the refrigerator. And I think these fish that during their, their major growth periods is, is, you know, that 12 to 14 inch, that's when they're most active. And if you watch these tanks, when they feed them, that's usually with those fish that are, you know, they're on the bait in seconds. Yeah. So I think that, you know, presentation is better. You know, you can, I've caught my biggest bass and my biggest muskie ever on a two inch bait. I've mm. also caught a ton of really big fish on seven inch baits. So it's not big bait, big fish or finesse always. It's just, you know, if you get that bait in front of the right fish, he's going to hit it. So do, yeah, you, do I, you guide musky as well? Or do you just? I don't. It's a, you know, we get between 15 and 40 musky a year fishing for bass. Mm. And that's landed, taking pictures of them. Um, and we, I don't know how many we hook, but it's just a, it's just a byproduct of fishing for bass in waters that have pike, musky, walleye, you know, catfish in it. Yeah. yeah and I, I attribute that what you're saying about the big fish. I mean, I know, you know, it's one thing to, to, to notice patterns. I, I've always thought with fishing, it's like, ultimately you want to sort of find out the why behind what you're seeing. And I think that's somewhat of a dangerous game to play because we'll never know exactly what's going through the fish's mind. You know, we can sort of guess, but, um, you know, with you saying that, it got me sort of thinking like, I've always thought that those big fish were in those areas those kind of isolated areas more because they didn't want to expose themselves, especially in the summertime when it's clear, like you'll find those big fish sort of like hunkered down. Like they won't be in those big open feeding lanes because those fish are like real susceptible to predators. Whereas like the big fish, they'll, they'll sort of just hang back and let something come by and they'll eat it, you know, eat one big meal a day instead of trying to eat a bunch of, you know, gourds themselves. I I don't know how you feel about that, but I I would agree. I think if you watch smallmouth in habitat, especially if you'll, you'll notice them pushing smaller fish out of the way too. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. sometimes they'll defend a point and sometimes there's just that one rock. I mean, that, that sits out and there's, it could only house five or six fish. And those, it tends to be those five or six fish tend to be beefy. Yeah. Tend to be bigger ones because little ones, they're not going to give up that area to a smaller fish, just not going to. Right. And if it's, if it's feeding, if they've got the protection and it's not a big area that, you know, if someone gets on them, they're going to know it quick. Right. So I think that by hitting a lot of those areas, not that we don't catch small fish, but I just think I was hitting the bigger fish because I was hitting areas that either were less susceptible by, by the average person finding them. Doesn't mean that, you know, good anglers couldn't find them, but you know, I would say I hit spots the last two years that I didn't even know were there. I mean, fishing it when you're, when you're finding success in these bigger pods of fish and bigger areas, and you can go to these, you know, 30 places using 10, 10 places every other day. Right. And catching your fish, you never really had to get outside of your comfort zone and find those nooks and crannies like we're talking about where these fish may have always been there, but no one really ever hits them. Mm. It could be, too, that the fish are fresher because I'm not hitting the areas that, you know, that have become more community based areas. And I don't mean just in the wintertime, but, you know, you you watch a guy come off a launch and you see two or three islands out from the launch. They're heading right for those islands. And sometimes you've got to go to more of the middle of nowhere spots that has a depression or something going on. And I always tell people, it's great to see what's happening above the water, but if you can see what's happening below the water in an area where it doesn't have a target, right? Cause a lot of people want to throw to a target. 
an island, a grass bed, a boulder sticking out of the water, a log, something I want to throw to. But if you can find these hidden gems that are out there, you know, sometimes it could be something as simple as there's a log stuck in this spot. And for days you're catching fish off that log. And then all of a sudden water comes or it breaks loose. That log's not there. Those fish aren't there anymore. So right. mm-hmm. it's just these areas that are, I'm, I'm finding a lot more of these smaller areas where I can get three, four, five fish out of. And if, when I find those areas and that's the numbers that I'm targeting, I'm getting much bigger fish. <clears throat> it doesn't mean that, you know, feeding areas, open flats, wintering areas, you know, well-known areas aren't producing big fish. It's just that, you know, the chances of getting that bigger fish when there's so many smaller fish around is, is, is tougher. That's a, an experience probably unique to river fishermen. That moment where you have like a great piece of cover that a flood takes out and then it's no longer there. And you're just like, Oh man, that's brutal. You know, it's, it yeah. is because you wish you could anchor it. Now, yeah, you right? really do. Yeah. Stuff floats into something and you go, Oh, it's right in the middle of the hole. I wish it wasn't there. Yeah. And there's other times where it's stuck above. It's like, wow, this is going to be great. And you come back after a, you know, a four foot rise. It's like, Oh, that thing's not there anymore. Yeah. It's brutal. Yeah, the the Susquehanna probably doesn't change quite as much as our smaller ones are or change. But man, we'll have. I remember Chris one one stretch of Sugar Creek. Yeah. I, you probably know. I mean, it literally looked like from one season to the next. Like I didn't recognize it. Mm-hmm. Like the yeah. the sandbars had shifted and the the trees were gone. It's like, and so were the fish. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing how much it changes and. It, it could be the smallest change and those fish just won't come back there. Yeah. It doesn't hold them. There's, you know, you, whether you read about laminate flow or the protection they need. And like I said, I, I can't explain why the fish this year were, were so much bigger than in previous years for me personally. I just know that I definitely had to get out of my comfort zone a, a number of days and don't get me wrong. I mean, my wife could attest. I would, I would be hero to zero. I'd be like four or five days of being an absolute, you know, thinking I could do no wrong in the river and come back the next day and get my hand, my, my rear end handed to me. It's, it can be, you know, get trying to produce every single day can be, can be difficult. But I, I actually like, I like those days because sometimes you learn a little bit more about those days. I'm sure my clients don't like them as much as I do, but I mean, I, I do like those days when, you know, you're struggling to get fish in the boat in the last 45 minutes a day, you, you, you come on to something that's just been a gold mine that, you know, you can use the next day out. Absolutely. Well, Chris, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. We really didn't even get to talk about some of the things I wanted to talk to you about. So we'll have to have you back on, uh, on the show, but we're getting a little bit, we're we're probably at what, like an hour and 10 minutes, Josh, hour and 15, maybe. So I think it's probably about time to wrap this one up, but why don't you, uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you on social media, uh, or how they could book a trip with you. So, um, Social media part is, is, is beneficial, especially if you're traveling to fish the river, we have daily reports and there's, there's, it's rare that I go by a day where I don't have reports up and you'll get, you'll be able to get a feel for what the river's going on. I can give you information about what to expect when you're here. If there's places you need for lodging and things like that, um, feel free to check our, our webpage. So our webpage is probably the least frequented spot um, because it's dip- most difficult from a phone on the boat to change, but we have uh, a Facebook page, which is real river adventures and it's real R E E L river adventures dash R R A our initials real river adventures. And that's where you're going to get most of your information. We also have uh, by name, Chris 
underscore Gorsuch, so C-H-R-I-S underscore G-O-R-S-U-C-H for um, where you can find us on uh, on Instagram. Instagram. On Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, Chris, that was a a great episode. We really appreciate you coming on. Uh, True professional. uh, Definitely provided a lot of insight, not only for your fishery, but I think is broadly applicable. You know, I think uh, we all kind of get sort of into the mode where we're going to the same spots over and over or going to the known locations or whatever. I think that the idea of covering a lot of water moving on, trying to find those bigger fish in those isolated spots, I think is broadly applicable. I think there's a, a lot that people should take from this episode. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah. It, it, my best piece of advice is move around a lot. And if you find something that works, repeat that. So if it's, if it's grass, repeat it. If it's hard bottoms, repeat it. If it's, if it's the way you're sweeping your bait, repeat it because repeat it until it fails. Absolutely. That's, that's really the best piece of advice guys it was great i uh, look forward to uh getting on again if you guys think of something that we haven't talked about and you want to well, you know talk jet boats, jet boats like is that, what we want to let's do it we need to talk jet boats for sure so uh but anyways josh thanks for setting this up man uh and as always free the fighter <laughs>